Friends of Christ, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Do you know I think advertisements are filled with bad advice? I came across the recent slogan for Coke, and Coke's recent slogan is this, open happiness. Now, I appreciate this. I have been on a hot day, and I appreciate the taste of a good soda, especially Coke. I had some time in the South where everything is Coke, by the way. Um, but, but this is, I think, bad advice, for it should say, Open cavities, open high fructose syrup, open an addiction to sugar. But open happiness, I think, is maybe bad advice when it comes to Coke. Or consider when you're young. Isn't it true when you don't have a lot of um, life experience and people around you without a lot of life experience, they give you perhaps some bad advice? I just want to let you know that if you're under 20 here today, we love that you're here. We love that young people are here. And you might have people who really care about you, but have horrible advice. For instance, I remember I was, being, I was young and uh, I had a, a dermatological foot problem, a wart. Anyway, and I got the advice uh, that uh, garlic can kill many things. You know, garlic kills infections. Garlic uh, holds off vampires. Uh, garlic kills good-smelling breath and maybe my foot problem. And so what I did is I put cloves of garlic, not with a Band-Aid, but just into my sock. Cloves of garlic into my sock for about a week. And guess what? Garlic does kill things. It killed my socks and my shoes and the chances of a girl sitting within a 10-foot radius of myself. It didn't take care of the dermatological foot problem, though. I consider as a pastor, sometimes I get bad advice. Um, I, I get a lot of sales calls, and there are various vendors uh, trying to give uh, a church what a church might need. And they give terrible advice, and they usually say, our product will grow your church, which is really bad advice if you've uh, talked to a pastor who knows the Word of God, because we don't believe that a product will grow the church. No, if you read the book rightly, we believe Jesus, the Savior, will grow his church. You know what I'm saying? So it's really bad advice. And that's going to be key. We're in the midst of this Vision Sunday. We're going to hear our president speak. And I just want to confirm to you today that there is no person, there is no product, there is no plan that can grow the church, even though all of those could be used. Rather, Jesus will grow his church, and that is our confidence. So, bad advice. Um, so, so, what is yours? Have you ever been offered a home remedy, and, and usually it has something to do with apple cider vinegar? Anyone? Anyone? And I am convinced that the only thing apple cider vinegar is good for is curling up your nose to get you to ask, what is that horrible smell? It smells worse than garlic and feet. Anyway. Let's talk about some serious things. We're, 
We're obviously gathered in the house of God, and I wanted to just pause and welcome you if you're new today. I just hope that God will bless your time among us. We think that his love is the greatest idea this world has ever known. And, um, and we're going to talk about uh, Job's story. That, that, that's the series we're in this summer. So let's turn there. Job is a man who lost everything. He lost a fortune. He was one of the wealthiest men. He lost 10 children. Uh, recently, he, he lost his health. He was covered head to toe in boils. And, and what we've been dealing with, what we've been wrestling with, is why do we suffer? And I think we all have that as part of our common human experience. You've asked at one point or another, why am I suffering? Now, as a spoiler alert, Job never gets the answer. God never lets him know why he was suffering, and yet we do find certain things out. Here's some things we've been considering. One of the things that God does when we suffer is this. He teaches us that he is worthy of love even apart from the blessings he bestows. See, suffering creates this unique opportunity to say, God, I praise you in spite of all that I'm going through. I praise you even when you take something away. I praise you and you are still good on this day when I don't feel so good. Suffering presents that opportunity for that kind of worship. Well, last week, if you were here with us, we talked about the second, that God may permit suffering as a means of purifying and strengthening the soul in godliness. So again, it can be a strengthener. We talked about that, that out of misery can be forged beauty. And Horatio Spafford, who wrote this song called, It Is Well With My Soul, but it was only inspired after some horrible circumstances. He lost four daughters. Well, today we're going to give rest to the why, and try to consider the how. When you suffer, how do you get through it? And you know the answer? Comfort. We all need to be comforted. And today's topic is really about how do we give comfort and what kind of comfort are we to receive when we are suffering. We're going to talk about how we give some very nice advice. And the Bible has some words over uh, what it's like when we give nice advice. I was reading from the book of Proverbs. Look what it says. It says that a word fitly spoken or aptly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I was considering uh, brownie points if you're in a, a relationship, if there are some men husbands. You should go to K and, and get apples of gold in settings of silver. And then you should give them to that loved one and say, this is what it's like every time I open my mouth. Just think of that when you look at this. I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. Anyway, um, are we still here, by the way? Am I the only? All right, okay. Um, just, just checking. Um, but, but again, it's a, it's a great thing when, when you hear a timely word, isn't it? What about this next one? Proverbs says, and maybe you've heard, and as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, and maybe you've uh, benefited by that when someone gave you wise counsel, and again, it did help you. Um, and then finally, look at this one. Words from a friend or wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you run in a circle where all they're telling you is everything that you want to hear, they might actually be your enemy. They might actually be kissing you because they don't care the actual state of your life. But a friend, a true friend, might tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Because of the truth of God that exposes lies that we can be locked in. When all of this is happening, we give some nice advice. And as we find Job, he is in the need for some good advice. We're going to meet Job today in his darkest hour. And you'll see that through the words that he shares. And yet what we're going to learn from is a bad example of Eliphaz. Eliphaz is, in Job's own words, a miserable comforter. 
He does not give good advice. You ready to see what I'm talking about? So let's turn to the Word of God. It's printed before you. Uh, you can follow along also on the screen. And what we're going to see is two things. We're going to see not only how bad it is for Job, we're also going to see how Eliphaz is just a miserable comforter. He, he doesn't know how to give advice. You ready? Here we go. So Job, first. Here's, here's the state of things. After this, after he lost everything, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, I need to pause there. He's not cursing God, which was the devil's intent, but cursing the day of his birth. So he hasn't cursed God yet, which is, which is a distinction that, that should be known. He's still not doing well. He said, uh, may the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it be turned to darkness. May God not care about it. May, light, may no light shine on it. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Pretty bad for Job? Yeah. Eliphaz comes. Eliphaz with some horrible advice. Look what he says. Call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Is he questioning prayer here? I don't know. It's poetry, but it doesn't seem good. Resentment kills like a fool, and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even from among the thorns. The thirsty pant after his wealth. And what he's talking about, we'll talk about here. For a hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Basically, he was saying, no, fools reap hardship. We'll talk about that today. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. He has some good words about God, but not enough. I'm going to skip back to Job. So Job, in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, as we go there, Job said, if only my anguish could be weighed, on all, could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales. It would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. What Job is saying there through poetic words is, I, I wish that with Paul to die would be gain, that I could go to heaven before I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to curse God. He's cursed the day of his birth, but I'm so tempted, I don't know how to keep it together, God. Please help me. Some tough words. Darkest moments of darkest days here in Job. And he needs some good advice. Could you turn to someone next to, them, to you and tell them, strive for nice advice. Strive for nice advice. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. Principle of life is this. You reap what you... Yeah, and that's true if you're a farmer and you've planted some seed. Uh, it's true if you're an investor, if you've taken financial peace to live like no one else. You want to live like no one else, reap and sow principle. Uh, it's true with children. Um, if you sow chores, you might reap an allowance. If you sow a bad attitude and the rolling of your eyes, you might reap um, punishment, right? It's also true when it comes to overnight success. 
I think overnight success is a myth. I consider the iconic name uh, Morgan Freeman. Anyone heard of Morgan Freeman? Morgan Freeman was actually acting since age nine. But it was only until he was 50 years old that people started to know him because of a role that he took. Uh, Does anyone remember this movie? Yeah, right? That's a pretty good one. And only then did he reap that success. He had sowed again since age nine, and, and only until age 50 was he starting to become again successful. Reap and sow, reap and sow. Uh, that's a principle. The reason I bring this up is because this is the truth that Eliphaz is working with. Eliphaz is going to try to enter into Job's world. And, and he's going to go with the truth, and it is true, the Bible even says, he's saying, you know, often what you reap is what you have sowed. Look at his words once again. He says, I myself have seen. So he claims to know something. It's kind of like, have you ever uh, bared your soul to someone, you told them what was going on, your story? And then they said, I know exactly what you mean. And then they tell you a story that has nothing to do with the story you just shared. Has that ever happened? This is Eliphaz. I myself know. Let let me get into why this is going down. And he goes on to say, there is a fool taking root. A fool will sow something. A fool will sow foolishness. And guess what a fool will reap? He says a fool will reap children that are far from safety without a defender. Uh, he, He will reap a lack of harvest. He will reap hardship because hardship, he is saying, does not spring from soil. No, it is sown in foolishness. And when people sow foolishness, what they reap is hardship. Now, where is Eliphaz going astray? Why is this not good advice? I was considering other scripture when it comes to counseling people, and I was reading from the book of James, and look what it says there. It says, everybody should be, can you say that yellow? Quick to listen. How much is Eliphaz listening? Put put yourself in his shoes. If you had a friend who comes into you scratching himself with broken shards of pottery because it's so bad, and is talking about uh, cursing the day of his birth, and his anguish being more miserable, and if it was weighed weightier than the sand on the seashore, would your advice be to him, well, what'd you do to deserve it? Well, you know, reap and sow. I believe what he is not doing is truly listening is truly entering in to hear every side of his anguish, his story. Rather, he is jumping to advice. And and so what do we learn? That we need to, if you want to be a good comforter, you really need to humble yourself in order to hear. And if you don't have the humility to hear someone, you might be misapplying truths all over the place. You need to humble yourself. Whatever the wisdom you thought you had, the experience you thought you had, to truly enter into someone's grief and their moment in their dark days. Otherwise, you might misapply. Because you know what happens when you truly take time to listen? You learn something new. You ever learn anything new? Uh, see, See, what happens is we have paradigms that we establish in life. You know, reap and sow being one of them. Paradigms, paradigms, paradigms. I, I had a paradigm when it comes to pitching. I don't know how many of you play baseball, but, but pitchers, anyone play baseball? The, the paradigm I operate with is that if you work your body, if you, again, uh, lift, lift weights, if you have a bench press, if you work your muscles, then you'll pitch better because obviously you're getting stronger. Well, I recently um, talked to someone who was a better pitcher than I, 
who is telling me, actually, when it comes to pitching, there's an exception. You normally want to exercise every muscle, but what you don't want to do, does anyone know what a pitcher's uh, workout should not include? You should not include bench press. If you want to pitch faster, you actually do not want to be doing this thing called a bench press because it can get in the way of the speed that you need to pitch. Well, I would have never known. He blew up my paradigm. I'm supposed to not work out that part of my body. It's all interrelated. What in the world? But I humbled myself to hear. I didn't claim to know it all. That's true in other areas of life. Maybe if you're not a baseball person, in in spelling, uh, remember that rule, I before E? I before E, except, right, see, there's a paradigm, but then if you draw in a little bit closer, there's something that's going to blow up that paradigm. Now, I got a point. Are you still with me? Uh, Eliphaz is saying, I got this paradigm. It's called reap and sow, reap and sow. In fact, God would even say that in the New Testament, reap and sow, except for grace. Can I tell you something? Grace will blow up your paradigm. It'll blow up your paradigm over what religion should be. It'll blow up your paradigm over what you think you should get. It'll blow up your paradigm over what you think you should feel. Grace blows up the paradigm. In fact, when you compare Christianity to every other religion, every other religion says reap and sow, reap and sow, reap and sow, but grace comes in, it wrecks it all. For what is grace? Grace is this idea that I might have reaped or sowed foolishness. I might have sowed sin. But I get to reap righteousness. I get to reap forgiveness. I get to reap love. And what Eliphaz didn't have was grace. And that's why he wasn't a truly good comforter. See, there are three things that you need to be a really great comforter. He had two of them. To be a really great comforter, you need to leverage, I believe, a combination of tears, of truth, and of grace. Eliphaz had the first two. When he met up with Job, he saw Job and he shared tears. He sat seven days in empathy. He shared truth. Now it was the wrong truth and he beat Job with it like a club, but but he shared truth. What he didn't have a shred of was grace. Friends, I get to remind you once again, we're not going to neglect grace. No, we're going to remember grace the grace of God. I don't know your story, but I know we've all been foolish at one point. And we all might be tempted to believe that I deserve only the wrath of God. We might be tempted to believe that, again, the wages of sin should be death. That's even a a passage. But grace comes in and it breaks it all up. I get to remind you today that you might have sowed sin, but you reap love. You reap forgiveness. You reap righteousness. You reap eternal life because of Jesus Christ who authors grace. Can I show you grace? Isaiah the prophet, he said this. He said, come to me all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. And, and isn't this the principle of you didn't sow for milk. You didn't sow for wine. You had no money but you get to reap it anyway. You know why you get to reap it? Because I sowed. I sent Jesus on your behalf so that you can get all of these things, forgiveness and life, at no cost to you. How beautiful is this? You know, today is Vision Sunday. 
And I think of all the things that the church could be. A dream of this place, of God leveraging it for his glory. And I think we should use the combination of the three we just talked about. I think when people come, they should be struck by the fact that, that we shared with them tears. In their dark days, we had the humility to just listen and cry. I think when people come, they, they should know that we have truth. And sometimes in humility and grace, share that truth with them because otherwise they might be locked in a prison of lie. And we have the truth that sets prisoners free. But more than anything, do you know what I think the church should be about? Is grace. That people would come and say, they never got over the fact that we are treated better than our sins deserve. That Jesus came in and wrecked the paradigm through the cross. That we have victory because of his resurrection. Let us never get over grace. Let's build this church upon it. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. How great is his grace. But there's more we can learn about giving nice advice. I don't know if you've ever been to a doctor's office. If you go to a doctor, what are some of the first questions they might ask you? Why are you here? Right? Why are you here? Now, if you do not tell them the truth, are you going to get some help? Probably not. If you say, well, I just haven't seen you in a long time, Doc, and heard you remodeled, you're not going to get help for what ails you. If you answer, though, truthfully and say, I am here because this hurts, and then you show them, you might get some help. Is that true? It's true. Do you think the same could be true with our relationship with God? Yes, God knows it all, but do you think sometimes he wants us to come to his throne and say, God, this hurts, let me show you where? Isn't that exactly what Job is doing? And what Job is teaching us, what Job is teaching us is that in suffering you can be real with God. And Job was brutally real. Job said, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. That's being real, brutally honest. Some commentators wonder, you know, has Job gone astray here? Is Job mouthing bad things against God? The redeeming quality of Job is that he's not saying this to his friends primarily. Do you know who he's speaking to? He hasn't stopped speaking to God. He's mouthing these things in prayer. He's telling God primarily how it's going. And he's being as real as a psalmist who would cry out and tell about dark days. And what happens when we use prayer is that God hears. I was reading from Exodus where it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery. They cried out. And what happened? God heard their groaning. If you want true comfort, seek comfort then as you cry out to God in prayer. Never give up crying out. Never give up on this gift that we have to go to God and tell him what's going on. Cry out for he hears. But there's more. Last week I had the privilege of my brother-in-law being in town and he is a personal trainer. It's like a profession of giving other people agony, right? Just kidding, just kidding. And uh, he used some of his expertise to help our family um, we uh, put in our goals to this computer machine, uh, to the software program, and out pumped 
a diet plan because 85% of, of your, your, your natural health is, is food and, and the other remaining is your actual workouts. So, um, so we did this and we were pinching fat and uh, getting on scales and it was a ton of fun. Um, and then I saw the options that I had to eat. So it lists for breakfast, you know, the portion sizes. It lists in ounces, and you should get one of those scales so you could weigh how many ounces. And I saw what was on the list, and boneless, skinless chicken breast. You can also eat boneless, skinless chicken breast. You can also eat, see where I'm going? Boneless, skinless chicken breast. You can also eat, oh, spinach, yippee. But what I was surprised is that there were a lot of things not on the list. Can I be real? There was no tortillas. Nope, no tortilla chips. They're fried. I guess that's bad for you. There was no candy. Do you know what they didn't have? They didn't have donuts. And I was trying to convince my personal trainer, because he said you need this like combination of the right carbs and fats, that if you eat a maple glazed bacon donut, that that has both the protein and the carbs at the same time, so that should work out. But no, maple glazed donut was not on the list. The reason I bring this up is because we're talking about comfort. And in a serious way, and, and bigger than any diet plan, there are certain things that should be on your drop-down menu for comfort. I think you should have friends. Friends who can leverage tears and truth and grace. I think on the drop-down should be prayer. But then I think there's this whole category of stuff that really should be taken off the list of options. You know, something that I'm struck by is something quite serious, a serious topic affecting our nation, is a plague upon our nation. It's this topic of suicide. Suicide rates are only going up year after year. In 2016, 45,000 people committed suicide. If you think it doesn't affect our own neck of the woods, it does. I don't know if anyone heard of the news in Orland Park. In Orland Park, just a couple, years ago, uh, couple weeks ago, there was a shooting. Uh, there was a shooting in P.F. Chang's. And, and not only was there a murder, but there was also a murder and a suicide. First of all, I have empathy. Because anyone who's ever considering that must be having a pretty dark day. They must be saying with Job, if someone would weigh my misery, that would outweigh all the sand on the seashore. But then what I'd also like to show them is Job's response. Job does not list suicide as an option for comfort. As we turn to his words, he said that God would be willing to crush me to let loose his hand to cut off my life. Now you might be saying, Pastor, he's getting real close. He's getting real close to this idea that, again, he should be in heaven. But I believe he's more on the timeline and more on the wavelength of Paul who said, you know, to die is gain which my own heart can say because then sin is removed. But what he is not saying is that Job would be willing to crush himself, that he would let uh, his hand or my hand loose. Job doesn't consider it. Friends, in amazing love, and, and for those influenced by Jesus Christ, we believe that God is the author of life, and only he has the right to decide. And we believe that we should live in a healthy fear of God, which is a theme all throughout Job. One of the biggest themes. To humble ourselves beneath His mighty hand. 
to look to him, but to not take this into our own hands. I don't believe it should be on the drop-down list of options for anyone's comfort. Not only that, but there are other things we could eliminate. We could eliminate having too much alcohol. We could eliminate experimenting with drugs, whether it be heroin, watch out kids for heroin in the area. It, it could be eliminating adultery. It could be eliminating eating too much, um, even though I like food. But again, they're, they're barriers. It, we, we need to be careful what we choose as far as comfort in our dark hours. And what I would say to you is this, to take sin, the big category, and especially suicide, off the list of options for comfort. It just doesn't belong. What do we have? Grace. We have someone who in our darkest moment of our darkest day has the ability to have light shine through. The light that shines through the darkness is Jesus Christ. We have someone who when we are in a pit can lift us out of the pit because he has unfailing love. We have someone who has riches of grace, whereby he gives us forgiveness and redemption and a clean standing. Where we get to remind each other that we are not treated as our sins deserve, we are treated as the Son of God deserved through faith in him. Grace is that greatest comfort. Let us strive for nice advice as we just fill our speech, this place, our friendships with grace. And now let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what we go through is real, and we know the days that Job speaks of. We've had dark days. Lord, be unrelenting in your grace towards us. Lift us up when we are in a pit. Give us the comfort of your gospel, which calls us redeemed and loved children, and help us to give this comfort to many, many others. In Jesus' name, amen.